I am so excited this morning because it is May 1st for a number of reasons. <clears throat> we have a historical day today. Um, I'm going to add one to my list here. I got a list of things that are recognized on May 1st, but I'm going to say that my, uh, my buddy, Marshall Locke, was baptized on this year on May 1st. Amen. Amen. So proud of Marshall <clears throat> and what he he's a good young man at practice, at AAU practice. He is always one to to uh, encourage his teammates. He's always one to listen to his coaches. And I'm very, very proud to call him my brother in Christ this morning. May 1st is a special day and it recognizes a lot of things. Everyone knows about May Day, right? It's the one that you see written on your calendar this morning. When you flipped over to May, you saw it said May Day on it. When I was a kid, I thought that meant something completely different than what it was. And if you don't know what it means, go home and look it up. Uh, May 1st is also National Call-In Sick to Work Day. I'm very thankful I did not take that advice today or else... <laughs> uh, Ms. Maria told me this morning that May 1st is Better Speech and Hearing Awareness Month. Uh, since May 1st falls on a Sunday this year, it is National Lemonade Day, which you will enjoy as you exit the service today because we have lemonade out there for you. It's also Batman Day. Is there any Batman fans in the house? May 1st also kicks off <clears throat> Root Canal Appreciation Week. I am not making this stuff up. Google. May 1st is the birthday of Anna Jarvis, who was born in 1864. Does anybody besides who was here in the first service know who Anna Jarvis is or was? She is the American founder of the holiday that we celebrate next Sunday, Mother's Day. A notable death that occurred on May 1st in 1731 was that of Johann Ludwig Bach. On May 1st, 1840, the first adhesive postage stamp went into circulation in the UK. It was called the Black Penny, in a discovery that would go on to change people's taste buds for years to come. If you didn't get that, you will on the way home. On May 1st, 1991, Oakland A's baseball player and all-star Ricky Henderson stole his record, setting and breaking 939th base. He is still the all-time stolen base leader in Major League Baseball history. You guys knew you weren't going to get through a whole sermon without a baseball reference. So, <clears throat> On May 1st, 1949, the Mental Health America organization recognized May as Mental Health Awareness Month. That was a long time ago. We still seem perplexed as Christians and non-Christians alike as to what is right and what is wrong when it comes to dealing with the subject of mental health. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Since May 1st kicks off Mental Health Awareness Month, and this is a very special and uh, subject and passion of mine, we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. So here is what some Christians and non-Christians alike think that mental health illnesses are classified as such are. These are the questions they ask. 
Is it a curse? Is it a demon? Does it mean that we are not favored or have lost favor from God? Does it mean that we are too broken to belong and be useful to society? Hopefully we'll get some of these questions answered today. As we look at one of the most intense moments of despair and anguish ever documented in history, and that's of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives, where he prayed before his eventual crucifixion. Before we get into Luke's account at Gethsemane, I think it's important to know that Jesus' pain and suffering was brought to light way before it ever took place. It was brought to light through prophecy in Isaiah 53, for example. It said this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. That sounds like the description you get sometimes when you hear someone talking about someone who battle, battles with a mental illness. Someone who is kind of just pushed away, despised, because they're misunderstood. But before we get into Jesus in the garden, let me give you some examples of others in the Bible who battle with mental anguish and misery. Just that, that way we know that Jesus was not alone in this. And if you're here today and you suffer or you know someone who suffers, you can know that you or that person is not alone in this as well. <clears throat> some key figures in the Bible who suffered great loss and grief. Job. If you don't know what Job went through, I encourage you to go home and just start Job 1.1 and start reading. Okay? Suffered great loss and grief. Jonah was angry and wanted to run away from God. When he finally gave in to what God wanted him to do and saw God work in it, he still was angry and in despair. In Jonah 4.9, he says, I'm angry enough to die, was a quote that Jonah said. Elijah was so miserable that he asked the Lord to take his own life. So there's three people right here. David. David's the poster child for all of us who suffer with depression. If you want to see clinical terms spelled out in the Bible of what depression is, read some of the Psalms that David wrote. And you'll see anguish and despair. But you'll also see at the end of those psalms glory and praise to God. Even Moses, even Moses suffered grief. How many of you knew that? I can't take credit for finding that one because I was talking to someone last week and uh, he said, man, you got to use Moses. You got to use Moses. And I'm like, what do you mean I got to use Moses? So I started reading. He said, chapter 32, Exodus, Exodus, chapter 32, just use Moses. I'm telling you, it'll be good. So I started reading, and it wasn't good for you guys. It was good for me. Because it was Moses was suffering stress. He had just come down from a mountaintop experience with God, Ten Commandments in hand to find what? The people in a mess and in sin. I speak in plain terms, y'all. I don't, I don't really use a lot of big words, so I... Uh, I apologize for that. If I 
seem like, you know, my interpretation might be a little different. But I got to thinking about it. Moses made a comment to God while pleading to God. And he said, and in one part of it, not to lose context here, but he said to blot his name out of his book. That's despair. That's sadness. You know, I, as I was looking at the Ten Commandments in Exodus, I typed in the computer, Moses, Ten Commandments, grief. I just put those words in. And a study popped up that said this. There are, no, there are more people in America who know all the ingredients that go on a Big Mac than know all Ten Commandments. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. There are more people in America who know all the ingredients that go on a Big Mac than to know the Ten Commandments. And we wonder what's wrong with our world. We wonder why males are not males anymore and females are not females anymore and why children are doing the things in school that they're doing and we wonder why parents are killing their innocent unborn child through abortion. It's because we're busy counting calories and not commandments. That right there should put the Christian in this room and all over the country in despair. Not to the point of depression and closing yourself up, but go to God. Give it to Him. Pray for the world. Pray for the leaders. All these things. And all the despair. The list goes on. Jeremiah was another one. who, Even though he displayed great spiritual faith and strength, he still struggle with a sense of failure. The thing about all these people is they were made from the dust of the earth just like you and I are. If they struggle, we're going to struggle. So we're going to go and see Jesus' Gethsemane moment. And we're going to look at and see how God knows each and every one of our moments of Gethsemane that we face. So before we go to Luke chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning there. I want to read you the definitions of Gethsemane. I want to read you one definition in, in particular. It says that Gethsemane, this is defined by Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary. The second part of the definition is a place or occasion of great mental or spiritual suffering. Now, I thought about that definition, and it was pretty interesting. So today we're going to see that God knows all about our Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 39. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. There's also a Bible in front of you. If you have an app on your phone, you can follow along on that. Um, if you play Angry Birds instead of follow along, just turn your volume down, and please don't beat my high score. I worked real hard on getting that. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 says this. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and he and began and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This morning, as we look at this, we're going to look at four key things to help us understand that Jesus knows where we are and can meet us right in our Gethsemane moment. The first thing we want to look at is purpose. Our pain has purpose. In order to know the purpose, we must first trust God's will wholeheartedly for our life. And you're like, that's easy to do in easy circumstances, but that's very hard to do in hard circumstances, and I get that. If you're here today and you're battling the pains of depression and anxiety and whatever else, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? That's the first question you need to ask. We hold grace group meetings here on Thursday nights to support those who are dealing with mental illness, and the first step to, re to managing your mental illness is knowing Jesus as your Savior. That's the first step. You will not find that in a psychology book, but you'll find that in God's book. You must know Him. You'll see that in verse 39 that Jesus went out as usual, I love that part, as usual, to his usual place to pray. We'll start to find purpose in our pain when we go to our usual place to meet with God. And that's not on Sunday morning at 10.30 here in the sanctuary. That's every day in our private time with God. Go to our usual place. There's a man who, I'm going to use him as an example here, and his story is kind of different. But he didn't understand that his pain had purpose. He had pain from depression, from anxiety, from suicidal thoughts, from the pain that was very much invisible to others but it was so visible to him in his life. He didn't know his pain had purpose until he started to meet with God in the usual place at the usual time. And then started developing a more intimate relationship with God. So what are you saying, Richard? I'm saying if you don't understand something, you ask questions. Well, you're not supposed to question God. I had a teacher in college not too long ago say that that was one of the most false things that he'd ever heard. And I thought, man, I was taught that my whole life. Don't question God. He knows what's up. He said, but if you don't ask questions, how do you learn? How do you learn? I thought that was interesting. But this man met with God in his usual place and he started to develop a more intimate relationship with God. 
through point two, which is submission to God. This is the second thing, submission to God. Our faith begins to grow and we learn to trust God to bring the best out of our situation. Verse 42 in the passage we read said, Jesus prays, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours be done. How many times do we pray, God, please take this pain from my kidney that Mountain Dew is causing me right now. Well, that's just me, I guess. God, please take the annoying traffic patterns away. God, please give me all green lights to work this morning because I'm running late. God, please heal my loved one who is battling with this. God, please do this. God, please do that. God, please do this. We ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and we ask right up to the point to that. But Lord, your will be done part. And we stop. What would happen, do you think, if we went ahead and finished that? Let me tell you what happens. The same man I talked about earlier. He didn't know his brokenness could still be used by God to win souls to the kingdom. Until and only until he prayed a prayer that went like this. God, please take this pain and agony of this monster of a disease away from me and eradicate it from my life. But God, only do that if that is what your will is for my life. And I'm reading this because I want these direct quotes. That showed God that he had complete faith and his promise, and things started to get a little more clear. What promise? The promise that says if something's broken, it can still be useful. Gary, come here for a second. Gary didn't know I was going to ask him to do this. Gary's a big, strong guy. I hold in my hand here, Crayola crayon. Gary, I want you to break that crayon in half. Okay. We would all agree that that crayon is broken, right? Yes. Thank you, Gary. Still right? Still right. Still serves its purpose. It can still have victory. Just because you're broken doesn't mean you can't be used told a story this morning about a man who walked I move around guys I'm sorry about a man who walked every day down to a watering hole with a stick across his back and he had a clay pot on one side that was perfect and beautiful it was sealed held water never spilled a drop on the other side of that pole he had a clay pot that had cracks and breaks and it was older and it had been through it a little bit and every time he went home that one on the left was always full. The one on the right was always half empty. Couldn't carry all the water back to the house. But every day he took out with that same stick and that same pole and those same two pots, dipped them down in the river and come back. So now I want you to imagine that a clay pot has feelings, okay? We're going to go to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood here for a second. The one clay pot is very proud very proud of his accomplishments. 
He can haul water and not spill a drop. To his owner, he is the epitome of reliable. The other pot, not so much. Very down on himself. Doesn't understand why somebody would still trek water because he loses half of it before he gets back to the house. And that's when the man who carried the water told the other pot, next time we walk down to the river, look on your side of the road. And when he did, he saw all these beautiful flowers growing. The farmer said, I planted those seeds because I knew your weakness. And now I can enjoy these beautiful flowers. God is the only one who can take the broken and make them work. He's the only one who can take your half jar of water and make it produce something so beautiful. When you understand that, you begin begin to understand what an intimate relationship with God is. Intimacy is the third point. I need to be able to see. Intimacy with God means grace during our circumstance. In verse 43 of the passage we read, an angel was sent to give Jesus strength. Jesus' submission to the will of the Father in that moment of His life earned Him grace. The same grace God can give to us in the way of strength to thrive when we're exhausted, when we feel broken, when we're ready to throw in the towel, when we can't tote our water back to the house. God is present with us at all times, whether in calm or storm. And just like He sent Jesus grace, He will send you grace. He will send you strength. Back to the man I spoke about a minute ago. He had given everything to God. And then the enemy started seeking to knock him down of his faith. The enemy fought so hard that another moment of suicidal consideration entered his mind because he thought even though he knew that he would be no good because of what people thought. It was then the Lord sent him strength in human form to speak the encouragement and truth that he needed to hear and to recommend treatment and counsel to help him push forward. Therefore, enhancing and refocusing on his submission to God's perfect will for his life. And in return, grace started pouring in all around him. That brings us to point number four, which is focus. We need to focus. Verse 44 says that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I told the 
folks this morning early in the early service that I was in a Sunday school class once and someone rebutted that statement and said that that is not a fact, that is no way that can happen. That someone would be in such agony and despair and, and pray and praying that hard that their sweat would turn into blood. Friend, that is a true documented medical condition. And our Lord and Savior had it on our behalf. Jesus received the grace of an angel strengthening him and in turn caused him to readjust his focus as he agonized and travailed until the influence of the flesh was defeated. Christ never sinned, but he was influenced by the flesh that he dwelt in. This is how he knows and understands what we go through. He understands our moment of Gethsemane because of his own. He felt for himself. He saw for himself. As the Clay Cross song says, he walked a mile in our shoes. He knows because he's been there. And in a much worse way than you and I ever will. We live in a world that values its own desires over the will of God. I'm going to say that again. We live in a world that values its own desires over the will of God. And we wonder why so many are in panic, are in fear, have no hope, seem lost. Guys, I'm not talking about just people who suffer from mental illness right now. I'm talking about the world in general. It's because we don't put God's will in front of our desires. Like I said earlier, I desire to hit every green light from northeast Ocala to here, but that doesn't happen. But I got an opportunity every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday at those red lights to talk to my daughter and my son who were in the car with me. Where if I hit those green lights, our conversation would be shorter. I get to know things about them, like what the newest video game that they're playing is that I don't understand. Or um, basketball statistics that I didn't even know existed. Um, the new instrument Emma's playing. Something that Dr. Noozle's teaching her at the, at the allergy center. I mean, the list goes on. It's, it's amazing the information that I find out sitting stopped at those red lights but I would otherwise be cut short of. It frustrates me to sit for more than two, three seconds still when I could be driving. Amen. But it's God's will for me to have that moment in time. Back to the man who <clears throat> I have all this information on. To this day, that man has to constantly refocus and recenter himself and revisit his prayer of earnest, revisit all those four points. His fleshly battle will soon be over. 
and be one when he steps from this earth to eternity with Jesus. But until that time, he refocuses and fully relies on God to determine his steps. To take him by the hand and lead him through the trials and the turmoil of the disease he faces. It's never easy, but God is there, and that is the only way he is able to stand on a daily basis. Now you may be saying, Richard, how in the world did you get somebody to tell you all this information? And it's because I'm that man. I suffer from a disease that I used to be ashamed of. Uh, it's called major depressive disorder. I was ashamed of it for many reasons because <clears throat> I didn't feel like that someone who would be close to God um, would be stricken with something like that. I felt like that people would look at me and judge me as having no faith or little faith. Um, <clears throat> some of that was proven true by, watch what I'm going to do here, Christians. I had a Christian stand and tell my wife and I to both of our face, <clears throat> faces that major depressive disorder was going to wind up being the demise of me and our family, so it was best for her to go ahead and divorce me instead of sticking by me. That was a Christian. No wonder the world and Christians alike feel ashamed. Church, I want to urge you today, if you're a believer in Christ and you've asked God and you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you see or hear of someone who suffers from a mental disease, just pray for them. Pray for them. Just like you would someone who's broken their leg or their arm. Y'all have prayed countless times for my kids because they break everything. Just like you would someone who's facing cancer. Just like you would someone who's severely diabetic. Just like you would pray for someone who's just lost a loved one. Just pray. You don't have to understand. Just know that God does. And go to Him on their behalf. Whatever you do, Don't question their spiritual integrity. Don't look at them and say, well, you must not pray enough. Do any of us pray enough? You must not read your Bible enough. Do any of us read our Bible enough? You must not give enough. You must not do enough. You must not serve enough. You must not do all these things. Those are all lies from the pit of hell. I went by a church sign one time and I was, I was <clears throat> it was frustrating to me and it had a saying that said, too blessed to be depressed. And I thought, they have no idea what depression is. And I know what they mean. They mean it, they mean it in the greatest of ways. But friends, I am blessed beyond measure and I battle with depression every single day. I have a wife who loves me, who has put up with me for 19 years this coming May 15th in two weeks. I have three beautiful children. I have a, 
a great job at this church. I don't know how I got lucky enough for y'all to pay me to do this, but this is awesome. I have a roof over my head. I've never went hungry a day in my life. I am blessed beyond what I deserve. But I still battle with depression. Is it something that happened to you in your past, Richard? Maybe. Do you fear it will affect your future? No. Because I know who holds my future. Think about the Apostle Paul. This is a man who has said second to Jesus probably went through the worst suffering of anybody. I encourage you to go home today. If you don't know much about Paul, just read Philippians chapter 1 and 3, 2 Corinthians, I mean just any of those. He knew the Savior in an intimate way. He submitted himself to that intimate relationship so fully that he was, listen to this, willing to gladly Give up his life for it. And although he was surrounded by distractions, Paul kept his focus on God's will for his life until he fulfilled it. That would lead us to the understanding that Paul was a broken, beaten, bruised man. Yet his light was still shining for the truth. Emma and Dory are going to come up this morning. Before um, we sing an invitation song, I want you to know that I'm not saying or pointing a finger to anyone here this morning who has a mental illness or trying to call you out or any of that. I'm trying to point a finger to God Because if you haven't accepted Him as Savior and you battle with anything on this earth, then you're battling a man down. You need God. Well, Richard, I get by. I do pretty good. I don't really hurt anybody. And that's all fine and good. But see, this is the thing. When you stand before God on judgment, and he looks into the Lamb's book of life and your name is not there, the amount of those good works or deeds that you did is going to matter. The only thing that pays your debt is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do that? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you will, not maybe, not you have a chance, but you will be saved. That's all you got to do. Leave it in your heart. Confess through your mouth. And I'm not asking you to do take that step of the journey alone. I'm gonna be right down here. We can do it together. Pastor Andrew's gonna come over here. Where's Pastor Brandon? Pastor Brandon's baking potatoes, I think. But even if he was in here, he would be over here. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you don't understand why it is that you battle the things that you battle, I urge you to come and use these. Cry out to God. Ask Him. He'll start to enlighten you. These altars are for 
much more things than being pretty and tripping over when you walk down that aisle. I'm serious. They're there for a reason. And someone will meet you here to pray with you, not judge you. We don't even, want, we don't even need to know what you're praying about. If you've asked God, if you've asked Jesus to save you, and you know that you have a relationship with God, but you haven't followed through as my brother Marshall did this morning in baptism, there's still water in that thing right there. We can baptize you right before we leave this place today. You don't need an appointment. You just need the water and the willingness. I'm willing. Pastor Andrew's willing. We got the water. If you say that you want to know more about joining a church that has a crazy worship director like me, we'll come up front. We'll talk to you more about that too. The thing is, friend, is there is nothing too trivial to bring to God. We're not asking you to come and meet us so that we can say, yay, look what we did. We're asking you to come and meet us so we can introduce you to the King of Kings. Because if you don't, if you leave this world without him, you leave this world with nothing. I want you to stand with me this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, they're going to sing this song. You come. If you're here and you want to be baptized this morning, you come. If you're here and you want to just lay it out for God, you come. There is no shame. I used to be ashamed, but I'm not anymore because you know why? God won, and He wins for me on a daily basis.